the real Andy was, t- was terrified during the NFL. Mm. I was terrified to take chances. I was terrified to let people down. I was terrified to to be myself. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. So, Brooke, we've had some incredible guests on the show so far in its infancy, but today I think is the first, I haven't verified this, but I think it's the first guest we have had on the show that has a Wikipedia page. (laughs) Um, And that little blue check mark next to all of their uh, social media accounts, meaning he's verified and amazing. So we're joined today by former eight-year NFL linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Indianapolis Colts, along with a couple other stops on the way, which we'll hear about. Um, The first player, and maybe the only player or the first um depends from wheaton you're saying yeah yeah yeah. yeah um the first kind of we had a couple guys okay. early on the first guy that ever played in the game and then a couple guy one guy has played after okay okay games okay cool so uh, according to your wikipedia page the first player ever to be drafted from wheaton college and what's interesting and i can't wait to hear about it and to, to verify if this is true a descendant of one of America's most storied automobile brands, Andy Studebaker. Andy, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And actually, I, I want to correct the record. <laughs> I technically have two appearances on Wikipedia. Boom. If you Wikipedia nasal strips, I get pictured in the, uh, you know, the, the you know, the, uh, what is that, Breathe Right strips? The really? Brand. They put my picture on there, and I don't get paid for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, what's a royalty check for that, So man? go ahead and Wikipedia nasal strips. <laughs> we are putting and that they put in the show notes. athletic use, and there's a picture of a horse <laughs> that has a bunch of nasal strips, and, and then, then me Andy. wearing a nasal strip. <laughs> In, in Which what, I think's bogus. I think I think so no too. I, I do think your agent <laughs> should be all over that. Um, that's amazing. Andy, so glad to have you here. Can't wait to unpack your story. But first, can you tell us a little about your background? Maybe where you grew up, what life was like for you? Yeah. So I grew up in a really small town in Illinois, um, two hours south of Chicago. It's called Congerville. It has four hundred people and um, has had four hundred people since I was a kid. Um, grew up right next to my grandparents. And my uncle and aunt and four cousins were on the other side of me. So literally, um, you know, a solid, pers- a solid, you know, part of the town was like related to me. Um, actually, everybody seems to be distantly related in, in some way. So really small town, no stoplights, nothing. The grocery store closed when I was like in third grade. Wow. Very small. So, um, you know, very family oriented. I went to a smaller high school co-op type thing. Three or four towns make up one high school. Pretty normal for people out here in West in, that grew up in Western Kansas or in rural yep. Missouri. Yep. So, um, that was kind of, that was kind of life. Um, went to, went to Wheaton college, um, after, after high school. And that's, that's kind of where I think a lot of my story, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to discount the beginning part of mm-hmm. that life. That Congerville phase isn't, is not you know, discounted by any means, but that's kind of where mm-hmm. life took a different Time turn for, for me. Yeah. yeah. And I started seeing things, take off in a different direction, um, just based on the people that I was surrounded by. Very cool. And where's home now? Yeah, so we live in Leewood, Kansas. Um, you know, I s- 
ever since we, I, I played for the Chiefs for five years. We bought a house here. We always felt like this was home here. And then when I didn't play for the Chiefs, we just never got rid of our house. We just kind of stayed here as I would travel back and forth um, to Indianapolis season to season. We just kept feeling like this was home and couldn't really put a finger on why. Um, I just always felt like there's no nothing taking us away from here, so yeah. why would we force leaving? And we actually did leave once, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but um, every time we've tried to leave, it never quite felt like we were um, going home. We always felt like we were leaving home to go somewhere, and so we just stayed here and decided to say, hey, what, what would it look like to plant roots in this town? That's awesome, man. So you're clearly much more than a football player. You're an entrepreneur, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're, you're a, uh, a graduate of Wheaton. You are an alumni from Congerville High. That, was that the <laughs> Eureka name? High School. <laughs> okay, yeah, Eureka. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but football has clearly been like this thread that has kind of woven itself through your story and your life. Um, tell us kind of the football journey. Like, were you just blasting kids at, at Eureka and, no. and you were a D1 recruit? Like, what, what was your football journey and, and, and kind of weave us through how you landed in the NFL. Yeah, I think kids in Congerville don't, Eureka, Illinois, don't grow up thinking I'm going to go to the NFL. At least they didn't. I mean, maybe maybe in a way I've changed that. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. But uh, small town, we, we were not good at football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played multiple sports. I thought, you know, this is, this is not a future for me. This is just something fun I do on the side. I didn't really have a ton of direction as to what I would do growing up. Um, and then, you know, I just started kind of, excelling athletically. I wasn't blasting people. I didn't get recruited Hmm. by anybody bigger than D3 schools. We sent my tapes to literally everybody within 200 miles of of Eureka, Eastern, Northern, Western, Southern, Illinois, Illinois State, Iowa State. We sent them everywhere. Nobody called. Um, And uh, Wheaton College called. My brother played at Wheaton. I knew the people there. I, I knew his coaches. I saw the friendships he was building. And they called and expressed some interest in me and in a couple of other D3 schools as well. But they um, they showed interest in me and, and I decided, hey, if this isn't going to be a part of my future. This is, mm. this is just going to be something I keep doing for fun. I might as well go get a really great education, yeah. play football. I'll be done playing. I can, I can play basketball at the Y for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I might as well do this thing, uh, play football for four more years. And then be done with that. Get an education. You don't go to Wheaton College thinking you're going to get drafted either. You you just, it's not a thing you do, right? So I didn't get recruited and I said, okay, well, why do I want to go to Wheaton College? And to me it was, I want to go surround myself with people that I want to be like. That's the decision I decided to make at 18 is where, where do I want to. How mature? Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, and I I don't know that I, I, I look back and I think maybe that wasn't my whole process, but I thought, why did I decide to end up going there? And I think a lot of it was, okay, what kind of, what kind of marriage do I want to have? What kind of businessman or whatever mm. I'm going to be? What do I want to be like? What kind of father do I want to be? What, why don't I go surround myself with people that seem to be doing those things and yeah. might push me towards that? So ultimately, that's where when I was juggling between two schools, I chose Wheaton because I felt like these are the people that are going to do that. And oh, by the way, cool. football is pretty good here too. And the school is great. It's great academics and all that. And I was making some really calculated decisions. And ultimately, the most important one I made was, hey, who do you want to be like? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, when I was, when I got engaged, my defensive coordinator became my, uh, he and his wife became our premarital counselors. No way. That's really and so you're cool. like, okay, what world is, what a unique world. Your football coach becomes this like mentor for 
you know, the rest of your life, mm-hmm. setting a foundation that, that is towards something that matters. Okay. And, um, yeah, so awesome experience. So good, man. I, I, I'm going to take a quick detour from the script, but you, you made a comment that's interesting to me, and maybe it just resonates because we've got a high school daughter and we've got two middle school daughters. Um, you've, you've talked about playing multiple sports growing up and not having this, like, fascination that you at nine years old were going to be on the most elite club football team and play in the NFL and like your whole life was going to be based around sports. Um, maybe it's, uh, it, well, l- let me just ask it directly. Um, what is your opinion on this sport special specialization that is sweeping the country age. in terms of like, Hey, one kid needs to play one sport all year round and, and go all in. I, I mean, I think most people, I, I think it's insane. You know, you think, is it, is it bad for them? I don't know if it's bad, but I don't know if it's better. Beneficial. If, what's better is to put your kid, what are sports for? You know, sports are not, your kid's not going pro. My kids are not going pro probably, and they should, right? My wife's six feet tall. I'm six foot four. I played in, in the pros. She was an All-American. If my kids are 10 times more likely to go pro <laughs> than the next kid, there's still less than 1% chance that they'll go pro. Yeah. So why are we building this, this narrative that they need to be doing this if they ever want to go pro? Because the reality is there's probably not much you can do to make them go pro. I mean, it's going to – and so I think multiple sports are good for them because you're putting them in different contexts in which they're learning to work and compete with other people, which is the real world, right? If baseball is different than wrestling, so to be in both is really beneficial for a young guy. Um, basketball and soccer for for a young girl make a lot of sense because you're working differently in a team and the game presents different opportunities and adversities to you. And that's where you build a better athlete, a better performer, and ultimately Grow as a when person. it's over, a better person. Yeah. Like you're, you're building a, a better person through multiple um, contexts. And so I'm a big proponent of the multiple sports. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at professional athletes all over the world – most of them played multiple sports. Yeah, yeah. And I bet, but I don't even care about that as much as people. Yeah. <laughs> good, good competitive people usually played multiple sports and thrived in in competition where they were presented different opportunities to, you know, to deal with the adversities in front of them. If all you know is one thing, if all you are is a one trick pony, mm. life's gonna be tough. Yeah. And I think. Yeah. That what we're what we're robbing our kids of is is the future that sports can be can build for them, and I think parents are so invested in yeah in you know you probably see Building it all the this time. Elite athlete, and, well, and they, it's it's their own gratification that they or, get out yeah. of like my kid is the best soccer player. Yeah. Okay, well, what's that mean? What else are they really <laughs> good at? You know, yeah. like what else are you spending their time doing? I don't I don't think they're wrong for putting your kid in soccer. Yeah. What if that's what you want to do? That's great. I just think. There's something to be said for you know putting them in a different spot. And all of these really expensive sports, people are doing it because they want their kid to get a, a college scholarship. So you Which is ironic. You drive to Omaha, you fly to Chicago, you go to St. Louis, you go to you go all over the country for a whole year and you're spending thousands of dollars per year. If you just would have put that money in like a, a college savings plan, your kid could probably pay for college and they wouldn't end up hating the sport that you've like put that burdened on them for the last 12 years of their life. So I think there's some, there's some like irony there that's happening. That's like these kids end up hating it. And Oh, by the way, they're, 
they weren't good enough to even go D1 in the first place. So <laughs> totally. darn it. <laughs> like we're missing something. Yeah. No, well, well said. And I'm sorry for hijacking the conversation. I but um, but it, I, I do think that's a fascinating topic. So back to the 1%, right? So kid from Congerville, you end up being 6'4", run a four six forty. Like those genetics aren't um, just floating around in small town America all the time. <laughs> like when did you determine like, dude, I'm going for this thing. Like I, I'm going to, uh, there's something happening or I'm getting some calls or I sacked 17 and a half people my senior year. Like you're the next Derek Thomas, man. Like yeah. what, 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 yeah. uh, what, what, what flipped in you that was like, Oh dude, NFL, that's like kind of a, maybe a thing. Yeah. It's interesting. So I went to Wheaton. Um, there was a hundred guys on the team. It's funny. Cause my freshman year, I was the only person on the entire roster that did not play a snap. We had a really deep D line. We were beating someone 60 to nothing and everybody was getting in. Whoa. And my D line coach could not but like, you. he couldn't get me in. And I still make fun <laughs> of him today, but you may not got me in, but I'm the only one that played longer than everybody. So, <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I, it was, it wasn't like this thing I knew I was going to happen. Just kind of kept chipping away. Just kept mm. ch depositing. I always say I just made deposits every day into the mm. bank. And I figured this is going to end in three years, whatever's next. My junior year, I had a whole bunch of sacks and then NFL scouts started coming around. And after your junior year, you can run a 40 and that's all you can do. Mm. So they come around because you, you have the numbers and they're trying to see, is this like legitimate or is this guy just like five, eight and he blitzes every play and it's not going to translate. Um, I ran a four, five, Whoa. four, five, Oh, that day. You need to update the Wikipedia page. Yeah. I don't do that stuff. <laughs> they, uh, they, so I ran that and I, I remember going to lunch and I told a bunch of my friends, they were like, how did what'd you run? And I'm like, uh, I ran a four, five, Oh, and a four, five, four. And they looked at me like huh? slack jawed, like seriously. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know. Is that that. Good? I had no <laughs> idea. In fact, a bunch of my friends used to make fun of me because I, I was terrible at like sports trivia. I just didn't care. And then, and when I ran a four five oh, I was like, I guess like where would that where would that rank be? And they're like, um uh Tyreek Hill, man. Like <laughs> faster than any D end in last year's draft. I'm like, oh. And then all of a sudden the, wow. the calls started coming in throughout that summer leading into my senior year, the calls started coming. Agents every night, scouts calling my coach to come schedule to visit practice. So all thirty two teams started making multiple visits to practice and you're like, Holy moly, like this thing's happening. How did you handle that? How did you not get <clears throat> anxious excited yeah. puffed up yeah it was hard I mean you, you know it's I, I did probably in a lot of ways I probably it consumed me actually it, sure it, it totally consumed me looking in retrospect I look at it and I go wow that, that became my identity and so huh. um we're going through third you know I'm on a roll my senior year sack 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 it's, it's happening right like all I need is 10 and I'm probably going in the third round that's kind of 10 plus a four five again it's done I'm mm. maybe higher and uh, middle of the fourth game of my senior year, I pop something in my foot. Oh, no. It's over. Done. And I'm like, oh, I no. can't even walk, right? And so I had this thing called a Liz Frank injury, and then you Google that 10 years, 15 years ago, and you go, that's 60% that's of the time is a career-ending injury. Oh, gosh. So there I am. It's over. And so I was like, as high as the third round on draft boards, within a week, you couldn't find my name. It was over. Man. And so I'm sitting in here going, oh, this thing I had like squeezed like so and much. held onto so tightly was now it's like sand on a beach. The tighter you squeeze, the more escapes through your hands. Right. Mm. And the tighter you hold on to it, you just watch it leaving you. And you're just like, man, if I, if I, I wonder what it would have been if I would just would have held it with a more open hand, I would have been able to handle more. 
Um, and so it was gone. It was over. And I, I remember sitting in my coach's office, and this was like the most impactful thing that maybe someone's ever challenged me with. He said, you have two options. You can fight or you can quit. Which seems really simple mm. until you're in that situation when those are the choices you actually have. Mm. So you have this six-month rehab in front of you. I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably not going to go the way we thought it was going to go. But you can fight or you can quit. Mm. And so we got the surgery, went to rehab every single day. And, um, you know, six months, eight you months later, I was, I was drafted. You know, and so it took, it took a lot of strategic planning on how are we going to get this done? How can we get a pro day in? How can I, mm. you know, I wasn't invited to the combine anymore. I wasn't invited to the all-star games like I was supposed to be. You're hurt. You're useless. You're a commodity that's no longer useful. We don't have room for you at the combine. So all these things that I thought were going to happen were gone. And Well, not only f- overcoming the physical challenges, but the emotions that yeah. go with all of that. I would think that would be really hard for a lot of people to come back from or to pick themselves up and say, I'm still going for it. Yeah, and it was. It was, it was devastating. You know, you're 22, 22 years old, and you think your life is going to be, you know. One way. One yeah. way, and all of a sudden everyone's going, um, you're just kind of like a 3.0 student at Wheaton who doesn't really know what he wants to do with the rest of his life. And like all of a sudden you're like, well, I am like not anywhere near where I thought I was going to be. Yeah. It, yeah. And unlike some fight or fight or quit scenarios that, that yours was, was at the highest of highs, right? Like the, the thing that, that most little boys grow up having that opportunity to play on the play for the New York Yankees or the, or the Kansas city chiefs or the, whatever like what what and and that you were faced with that reality and then i mean that analogy you said of squeezing the sand is unbelievable man yeah and and i could actually feel it happening in real time right like i i wanted it and the more i did the more i felt like i was in my own way Mm. and the as soon as i remember there was like this piece that came about me when i got the surgery i woke up from the surgery and it was like what does day one look like just win the day Mm. So you can, just focused day by day. Can you just that. win today? Yeah. What's, what's today look like? I don't know what the draft looks like mm. in seven months. I just know that my foot has got a screw in it, and I can't walk for the next 12 weeks. So Jeez. 12 weeks off. So I, I ended up training for, I got cleared to walk or run in the middle of March, and I had three weeks to train for a pro day. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, three weeks to, like, run, tr- really train at full speed. And we were able to, you know, we rented out Northwestern's practice facility for a private pro day. And all these scouts decided it was a week before the draft. So most teams had their draft done. But we thought, you know what, let's just let's just pay to rent the place. I'll be by myself. Like 18 scouts showed up, which was bizarre. And then so this is this will age me some. We videotaped it and posted it to this new thing called YouTube. <laughs> and we sent it to all these scouts. Like, we don't, they don't even have to be here. They can watch it with this link. And it seems like so techy in yeah. the day. You're That's like, awesome. this is so high tech. And it worked, you know? And so it took a lot of strategy and time planning like that, creativity yeah. to sort of create new opportunity in the face of, hey, they're not all going to fly and see you. Mm-hmm. You're nobody now. So you got to be creative. And so we were forced to kind of adapt. Dude, that's awesome. That's so cool. So out of those 18 scouts and the, the thousands of scouts who watched it on YouTube, um, what, where did the Eagles come into play? And, and tell us specifically about draft weekend. Like you're watching your name. Like, you, man, I'm thinking I might be a second, third-round guy. Those rounds go by. Fourth round goes yeah. by. Fifth round. Like walk us through that experience. Well, you kind of knew after, after the injury, I kind of knew this is, 
the early rounds are done. Those are no longer a reality. I didn't even play for a year. And, um, you know, you're, you're thinking maybe someone might dip to me in the fourth. So I turn on the TV and you're just hoping to hear your name at that point, right? So I've got my phone. So are you at, you're at home. Yeah, we went home. My okay. parents had a big party, which is awful, by the way. You, your parents have this, like, big oh. party. <laughs> All their friends come over. Please All your me. friends <laughs> come over, and you're like, this is, kind of, this is high pressure, and I don't have any control, but, like, this is going to end really somber if nobody calls, right? <laughs> what would they do? Yeah, like, what are we going to do? Like, just you're just hoping to hear something, so you're, the, the day is really slow. And I was occupying my time. I was playing chess or something with one of my cousins. And like, all of a sudden, this my, you know, you're checking your phone. Like, man, I wonder if my service is bad. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe my phone's not Damn charged. Sprint. <laughs> right. So you're just like, you're thinking too much about it. And then all of a sudden, this this number calls. And I don't even remember Philly's area code. I remember thinking, where's this from? Huh. We've never talked to them. They did come to my pro day. But like, they just kind of were on the fringe. And all of a sudden, they're taking me. And the, the next pick in the draft, I'm like, oh, holy moly, it's, it happened. You know, they took me. And I'm on the, then they passed me to Andy Reid, and they passed me to the GM. Whoa. And, they, and you're, you're just like – and then they pass you to the travel coordinator, and they're like, yeah, we're going to – we'll, we'll have a we'll, – we're going to book your flight. I'll call you tomorrow. We'll book your flights, and we'll have you out here next week. And you go, oh, my gosh, like, I haven't even graduated college yet. <laughs> I gotta go to mini camp next week or something. And I haven't even walked in graduation. Your life just totally changes. So what was once completely dead is like the door blows open and you're like, I don't, I've never been to Philadelphia and now I work and live there. Wow. I don't know any of these people. And so you're just thrust into this setting and it, it just starts taking off. Wow. That's Mind what. blown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that feels like, man. I can't, I can't, I can't relate. Um, but it's fascinating. So you go to Philly, you get on the plane, you show up in a city that you haven't worked or ever been in and life is there. What, what's that next little piece of your journey look like? Yeah. I mean, so you're, you're, you're in the NFL, right? first, you never forget the first time you walk through the locker room and you're dumbfounded because this is excited, scared, nervous. I think everything you're on the spectrum of they don't know I don't belong. So I got to like hide this from them as long as I can to like, you think you're the man and you're going to take, you know, someone's job who's been there for 10 years. You forget, Oh, this, this, this guy has a mortgage and three kids. Mm. He's going to compete to keep his job. You don't realize the competition that you're about to walk into is you're trying to take a grown man's job who really likes what he does for a living. And he's taking care of his family with it. And you're just some punk college kid who got a phone call. So you, you, you're on the spectrum. You think you're the man, but you also know, man, this is going to be a, a, a long climb. Um, one of the most integral things of me succeeding there, and I, I got cut. I mean, I got cut right out of camp. I was not ready to play mm-hmm. in the NFL. Um, I, was, I worked physically, really hard. Physically, mentally, what? I think, you know, physically I could run and all those things. I just yeah. didn't know the game of football. It, mm-hmm. is, it is completely different. Mm-hmm. Even for the guys that come from Alabama and get drafted in the first round, they struggle. Because it's just so fast and so different. And you're playing guys that have, they've got their PhD in this thing now. Been there forever. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's like, it's just different. And so I got cut. Um, but the, the biggest thing for me out there was finding community outside of football. Mm. So I had the, a, a bunch of guys that I, one guy in Philly that I played football with at Wheaton. He was a senior when I was a freshman. He called me. They had a sh- shacked up at the Marriott Airport Hotel in Philadelphia, which is way, no, there's nothing to do around there. So that's where we're staying. 
this guy would come get me, make sure I had a ride to go to church with him, make sure I had a place to go on Wednesday night for dinner because they met. And there were just like these Wheaton, awesome. uh, Wheaton College alumni who had played football two decades before me that were just kind of like Reaching making out. sure I was good. Mm. Making sure. They weren't up in my business. They weren't being fanboys and asking for mm. access or anything like that. They just, they just sat at a distance and said, hey, how can we help you thrive here? Mm. And I still have those relationships today. Mm. Um, and th that without that, I probably would have gotten lost pretty quickly. You know, f for what sounds like this mature process that I went through, I was still a young, young dude yeah. at 22, yeah. you know, thinking I was awesome. I'm a bad combination in a big city on the East Coast, right? So these guys were just really, really integral in, in developing me and saying, hey, this, there's more to this. You know, giving me a book about what does it look like to be generous. It's just something to thumb through. Hey, you're 22, you're about to come into some cash. Start mm. thinking bigger. Mm. Think about bigger. Oh, by the way, how can we help you? Do you have a ride? Do you have, do you have anything you need? To, 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 and you're, without that, it's crazy. Mm. Wow. So yeah, anyway, so then I, when the Chiefs called me. I was going to say, yeah, t t take us through. You get cut. Yep. And then what happened? Yeah, so I was on the practice squad for the Eagles. I got cut, but I had a job in the same phone call. But you're not on the roster. Yep. So you're okay. kind of in, but you're out. Got it. Uh, um, you just practice. You're practicing, you're, you're developing, playing. you just don't get to play on Sunday. So you work all week. I watched the game from my apartment. <laughs> oh, you know, it's just, it, it's, it was great. It was a good experience. I actually needed it. But you be, you're basically a free agent. And okay. so the Chiefs called on a Monday night. Um, they had been struggling with some injuries. I was on the way to a comedy show with a bunch of guys on the team. And then my agent calls and says, hey, um, the Kansas City Chiefs um, want to activate you to their roster. And you'll be playing on Sunday. And I go, the who? <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> and so, mean, you know, you think about it, you go, okay, that, this is what you dream of. You say, you, this, you say any opportunity is what you want. But I've been building relationships in Philadelphia, both in the locker room and outside the locker room. And now I'm going, okay, do I leave? Do you leave what's comfortable to the unknown? Uh, man. And the answer was, yeah. So I got on a flight at six in the morning. The, the next, next morning, left all my stuff. Good night. Every, I took one bag and got here. And I was like, I guess this is Kansas City. I've never been here. And um, I know I'm, I'm probably not going to be here long. I was the last guy they activated. I'm probably the first guy they'll cut. Mm. So, but, but here I am. I'm, I'm ready to, for a new, a new journey. And I kid you not, no long, I wasn't here for five minutes. I checked my email. Like three Wheaton College alumni that had played football at Wheaton had reached out. Welcome to Kansas City. You're like... Oh my gosh, there's there's people here too that are willing to dig in and, to, and and like make this an experience for me and and help help me and my family, right? Like the transition yeah. and they not in a fanboy way, but in a way that says, "Hey, we got your back here. You do your thing. If you need anything, let us know." And you go, "Whoa, this this community, this choice I made when I was 18 to go play football mm -hmm. for 4 years ended up being maybe the most impactful decision of my life." Because, because every single place that I've gone, there have been relationships based on that decision that have benefited me and my family in ways that I can't even quantify. And so here we are in Kansas City. I thought I'd be here for three weeks and then spent five years here. And live know? here now. And live and here now. And your family. Here we are. So you think, man, what a, what a bizarre, you know, course of events. And, and based off of a couple decisions where you just take a chance and say, I don't know what Kansas City looks like. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. You know. So you played that Sunday, or you're on yeah, the, the roster next that week, Sunday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
What was that active? Like? I was, I mean, it was the dream, right? Yeah. I mean, the Chiefs were not good that year, which is, you know, that's why I was there. Probably helped your case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a lot of injuries. <laughs> yep. The record was bad. Like, all these things were, you, you don't get activated by teams that are going to the Super Bowl. The, typically, the transition is going to be at a team that needs, they want to see some, some young talent because they're about to rebuild, mm-hmm. which is the situation I was in. So I got here, season ends, and I thought, they're firing the head coach. They're firing the GM, they're firing everybody. I'm gone. And I figured, well, I was the last guy they signed. Certainly, I'll be the first guy they let go. Mm-hmm. I ended up being the first guy they signed to an extension to stay here. And so you're, it's just bizarre. You, you know, sometimes timing is perfect. Yeah. The people that you don't know that are going to come into your world are suddenly for you. And they like you. <laughs> you're like, this is, this is home now. This is the decision we made. And... You know, I oftentimes wonder what would life be like if I mm. wouldn't have made that choice. I guess it's a waste of time thinking that way, but um, oh, that's really cool. Tell us about your first start with the Chiefs. That was pretty insane, from what Justin yeah tells me. Yeah, so um, you know, it's a good case, and sometimes that it's better to be lucky than good. So um, started, we had an injury, and they basically they needed me to start. I don't know that they want. <laughs> I don't know that they wanted me to start. <laughs> But we had an injury, and it was like we were playing the Steelers. They had just won the Super Bowl. And I think my job mostly for the day was like just be in the right place. Don't don't be a liability. I don't think anybody expected mm. me to go in and, like, have a great day. It was more, dude, don't screw this up. Just bro. don't screw it up, <laughs> and then there might be a future for you here. And it ended up going really well. I had two interceptions, several tackles. It went really well. We had a long interception. Return. We won the game, and we beat this this powerhouse Steelers team, and we had – Really no business beating them, but it was awesome. And to be an integral part of that, and, and a lot of people give me a ton of the credit. Now, the reality of it, and I think this plays well in, in life, and I'll teach my kids this when they're old enough to comprehend it. The two interceptions I have, one of them came off of me blowing a coverage. <laughs> Tight end goes right by my face, and I just was like, oh, frick, I got to run. So I'm running, and the ball bounces off of him. Now, if I quit... Four seconds ago, there. I wouldn't have been yeah. there to be lucky enough to grab the ball. So, so did I? Did I do anything extraordinary? Not really. I just didn't quit. Just didn't give up. There's something yeah. about not quitting, mm-hmm. even when you've been beat, mm. that means something. And then the second one is, um, I'm in the end zone again. I we had a blown coverage. I don't know if it was me or not, but I've watched the play and I'm like, I think actually I wasn't supposed to drop there. But anyway, <laughs> I did. And this guy comes around the edge, hits the quarterback. The quarterback throws the ball, maybe worse off than it would have been thrown otherwise. Ball comes right to me. I'm gone for like 90 yards. Without someone else's effort, you don't get to experience a lot of the success that Mm. you experience. So there's two Mm. key lessons from that game that end up not Mm. being really about me at all. Number one, don't quit. Number two, don't forget to give the people around you credit for the success that you experience because without their effort – you know, you might not be where you are today. And so I think it's, it, it, was, a, it was humbling to sort of re, to look back at that game and go, yeah, the crowd gives me a lot of credit internally. I've spent the last 10 years knowing the truth. <laughs> I actually know the truth. I didn't do that much. Man, that's fascinating. But I, but I think it, it relays perfectly into this next piece of our conversation where I had the pleasure of, of working in the front office when you were there and totally different world, totally different, um, experience, obviously 
totally less money. <laughs> um, way, way Brooke's less. like, way, dude, I should have married the player, not the guy who worked in the damn sales and marketing department. Um, but but I, you always stuck out to me, man. Like we, I had this, um, and maybe it was fanboy-ish, but, but I, I was in the industry enough to know like, man, like people are people. And whether it's the highest of highs or the billionaire owner or the, the superstar all pro, um, you know, guy who everybody sees on covers of Madden video games. They're just people, man. And and they have problems and fears and insecurities and challenges in the whole deal. But my long-winded intro is to say, like, I, I connected to you and I, re, I, I resonated with you for a, for a few reasons. One is, like, um, and I remember this vividly, dude, and, and you probably don't, but we're taking clients to an away trip, and we're, like, all chilling there and all of our clients think it's the coolest thing in the world because all like Derek Johnson and I can't even remember who all who all Jamal Charles and all these guys are like rolling onto the plane and, and there's no knock on this it's amazing and they should do this and they should look this way but they've got their like Louis Vuitton bags and their Gucci belt <laughs> and like their tight you know amazing pastel colored suits and the whole deal right and all of a sudden like dude here comes Studebaker and he's he's got like a Wheaton college I, I don't remember exactly but like a t-shirt or sweatshirt and like a Jansport backpack. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm making that up to some extent. I really hope like, that part's not <laughs> But like, you just, you looked like a dude. I mean, it was Nike or Under Armour or something super tough. It's probably that. <laughs> Absolutely. But 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 it, it felt very much like this is a guy from Congerville, Illinois. I, I'm, I'm butchering. Eureka, Illinois, who is just grateful to be here. And he's humble. And he's not letting this stuff. I'm sure it did impact you to some extent, right? But like. The, the outside looking, I was like, this is a guy like me. This is a guy I can't relate to because I'm not 6'3 and run a 4'5. But the... 6'4. 6'4. 6'4. Something like that. It Ish, depends right. what 7'11 I'm walking out of. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and, and then the other piece was like, there's there always this fascination about the player's parking lot. You'd see like these crazy new tricked out rides and all this like cool stuff, right? Which is cool. It really is neat to watch. Our son would freak out. We should take him there sometime. Um... <laughs> But, like, you'd get out of your truck or whatever it was. Like, what, what was it? What? Yeah, I had a uh, – <laughs> I bought a 2003 GMC Envoy, <laughs> which was very practical <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah, I got made fun of a lot for my car, I'm sure. But I just kind of thought, this is temporary. Mm. This is not going to last forever. And, and if you listen to anything over the last, like, 30 minutes, is like, this guy does not belong here and – you know, there's, mm. I wasn't the guy that was supposed to make, make it. So I, I was just kind of thought if I come in every day with that mindset that I haven't arrived, I'm more likely to not believe my own hype. And believe me, there were times I believed my own hype. Sure. Of course. And I think that just, I look back and think, man, I bet I, I bet I would have done better had I not done, believed my own hype in that situation. Yeah. You know, and so I just tried to come in with that mentality every day. That, you know, I, I tell guys, football is not a, it's, it's not a career. It's a launching pad. And football is just mm -hmm. a rocket ship on the launching pad. And the only thing you get to do for, the, for your career is fill the rocket with gas. Mm. And the longer you're in, the more gas you get to put in it. And then when your career's over, you have to hit the launch button. You can't stay in the NFL. You have to launch off. And so the more you've done to invest and, and, and put something, resources, save your money, get education, yeah. Network outside the building. Do you're just filling the rocket ship with gas. But when they don't call you and when they cut you, you have to hit launch, mm -hmm. and it's going to go somewhere. And the more you've invested and the more you've done right early, 
the further it's going to go, the more opportunity it's going to open up for you. Football is not a career. It is an opportunity and you've got to launch off the pad eventually. And so I just kind of tried to bring that invite that, that mentality to my own day. Mm. So I bought a used car. It's five euros, five years old. And I thought it's going to get me around. What else do I need? I live at the facility, right? You know, I was super cheap. So I got to Kansas city <laughs> and the chiefs had a, uh, they had a residence in that they had us staying at. It was like $45 a night. It was like a great rate, but I was paying rent in Philly still. So I was like, man, I am burning through cash and I am freaking out. Right. <laughs> I had 70 grand in debt from college cause I didn't get a scholarship. So I'm like, I- I'm being super cheap. And I go find this motel on I-70 oh, that boy. is, <laughs> but the rate was 25 bucks a night. So your boy went over to that hotel and lived there for six weeks. That's sick, man. Didn't, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think it rents by the hour sometimes. I'm not even sure, but it was like, it was pretty dingy up in there, but I didn't know anybody here. I was just trying to do these things that I thought, you know, looking back, that was insane. But that's the mentality I tried to yeah. bring was, just do the bare minimum and just focus focus on what's important. I mean, it was to the I didn't know anybody. Well, I didn't know where the restaurants were. This is before iPhones were really GPSing. Right, I, I was like stealing protein shakes from the from the facility <laughs> at night. I would go home and I didn't even have dinner. Oh my gosh! So I'm here. I am this like NFL player. Everyone's thinking is living the life. Like I don't know a soul. I don't have any friends. I'm in a twenty five dollar a night hotel. hotel. <laughs> it's so dry in there that I'm like waking up. So thirsty and itchy, and I'm not even have dinner. I just had like four protein shakes. But that mentality taught me something: is number one, you haven't made it, and number two, when you do make it, don't forget that there are people that haven't. Mm. So that experience, like we were, when we made it, my wife and I tried to be way more hospitable to younger players. Mm. Thanksgiving, Christmas. You're not with your family on Christmas. You're at work. We're working on Christmas Day. Mm. These guys don't have Christmas dinner, most, a lot of them. So or a young player, a practice squad player, like, come on, let's go to, come to our house for dinner. And so that experience actually taught me something. While I was trying to save money, it was, te- it was teaching me something. I don't know that I was pursuing those lessons, but they were, they were being, like, pushed into me that, like, people are going through this. Mm. And you went through it. Don't forget what it was like to go through that. Not everyone's made it. Even though the world thinks you've made it. Not everyone's made it, and eventually you're going to make it, and someone's going to need some help, mm. or at least some community, yeah. or like a dinner, yeah. <laughs> or a better hotel. Yeah. <laughs> Justin and I actually had the privilege of um, getting to know you and Mallory while here in KC. We went to church together, shared a few meals together. Obviously, the perks of the NFL are unlike anything else. You know that now, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, but it does come with a price. So what kind of pressures does that lifestyle put what did, what pressure did it put on you and Mallory and your family? Yeah, I think I think for me the 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 pressure that we had was you're always being watched. You feel like you're representing everybody mm-hmm. always. So mm-hmm. I'm representing Congerville, I'm representing my high school, I'm representing my Wheaton my Wheaton football team, but also the Wheaton like alumni base in general is now all behind in on me. You. Yeah, they're yeah. not just behind me, but they're like they're invested, right? They're watching. Make us proud, bro. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so there's like there's this pressure you feel. I'm representing my friends every time I'm representing the people in, in my neighborhood. Like you you don't feel always the freedom to to be Just yourself. Be you. yeah. yeah. And then you're sometimes you're in an organization that is relatively toxic 
and you're mm. terrified to be yourself. So there was like all wow. of those things happening where you go, I don't know who to be. So you become what people need you to be. And I think that's why guys struggle to transition out of football is they've been what everyone else needed them to be for years. And now they're 30 years old. They've stacked up a bunch of money, but they don't know who they, they are. Know, yeah. And the, yeah. the, or, or what am I good at beyond football? What can I do? What can I, how can I add value to people's life? Because for the last 10 years, all I've done is add value in ways that people needed me to. And so it gets really funky and weird. I mean, it, no, it gets, I can't imagine you're kind of trying to align to, to, to live up to everyone else's expectations of you. And, and it's moving so fast that you're not really asking the question, is this what I actually want to be perceived as? So there was like one wow. time in Indianapolis, I don't know the, you can mute me, but like I stripped a fumble, they didn't give us credit for it. And we're on TV and I literally, it's like the challenge flag. I'm on the field, but the TV camera's on me. And I yell, that's bullshit. <laughs> and it is so obvious what I'm saying. And so I, after the game, I like, I open up my text thread, right? And my brother or somebody, a bunch of people like- Your mom. Tweeted me the, or like texted me oh, a boy. video of the TV, like, nice job, idiot. <laughs> and I felt this pressure to apologize to people. Huh. Like I'd let them down. And I was like, which is so counter number like, one, like, yeah, probably I should, you know, maybe I should live up to a little higher standard. But number two, like, why do I feel like I need to do this when I didn't do that to you? I didn't. Why do I need to apologize to Justin and Brooke Rickless? Because right. right. Because they are so offended, offended that, I, that I did something. I didn't do it to them. Who am I? But why do I feel this pressure? Yeah. And it was like, wow, you know, you just feel that tension where you're letting you, you even your even down. your emotions like I offend people. My, my presence, if I don't do what they want, I become like an offense to them. And so that transitioning from football and kind of embracing, mm -hmm. not having to worry about that anymore has been good, but it's hard. It's really hard because also people aren't as interested in you, right? Like yeah. the eyes aren't on you anymore. So you feel sad that that's no longer your reality, but it's freeing because now I don't have to be somebody I'm not for you. as much, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And how did it, um, at post Chiefs, uh, you kind of, you bounce to the Jaguars and the Colts. Like, tell us, what was that, you know, the, the, the ending part of your career? What was that like for you? Yeah, so I transitioned from the Chiefs. Um, they, they released me, and I was on the street. I didn't know what the future was going to be. I went to camp with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, talk about the cutthroat nature of the league. Final cut night. Um, my coach, my linebacker coach, calls me. He said, hey, I know you were frustrated last night because we didn't play you. We've known you were going to be on the team. So we didn't want you to get hurt. I couldn't tell you that. Congratulations, you made the team. Wow. I was like, holy crap, we made the team. And Mal and I had like, we'd gone down to the beach. We found this like fully furnished beach little rental. We had one daughter. We're like, this is going to be, they're gonna be <laughs> this team's going to suck. But it's going to be awesome to live in Jacksonville, right? And the next morning they cut me. What? I was like, what? You told me 10 hours ago I made the team. So I'm back on the street. Oh, man. We had to ship our car home. Had to move everything back home. And then five weeks later, the Colts called. And it was just kind of took off, had a good workout there, started producing for them, and they kept me around for a couple years and, and then moved on. You know, I turned 30, and 30 is kind of where they send the horse out to pasture, you yeah. know, and they say that's, that's our arbitrary age that we decide guys are kind of prone to getting hurt. Or, yeah, the yeah. injury risk is high, so we don't want to carry the risk anymore. And so then they're just done. Man. You're just done. So. And in, in, in we would imagine that at that point, maybe back to your coach's comment, 
you can either fight for something or you can quit. Yeah. Like I, I imagine there's a lot of guys who who go through that and they hit third, the proverbial 30 in the NFL and they quit. Yeah. They sh- from from a life perspective, like they don't have an identity. They they don't hit launch, man. Yeah, like, and, in, and in some ways you can quit by still being in the NFL. I think there's guys okay. that are that don't know what else to do or they haven't prepared yeah. so that they can walk away, right? So you have you could you could run out, you could be out of money and you need football. Yeah. Or you 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 could be in a situation where you just don't know what else you want to do and you haven't pursued anything and so in an, in its own little way the NFL can be a version of like safety yeah. and quitting. Yeah. And just cashing it in and being like, "Well, this is what I can do." You really want to do this or are you like done? Mm. You made 10 million dollars. Do you even do, you don't need it? Do you even want it anymore? Mm. Is this, you know, some guys, you look at some of the greats and they're just like, I just love the thrill of victory. They, it just drives them. Mm. They just want to push, push, push. And some guys, they just, I got to the point where I thought I was like 27, 28 years old one night and we were in a, in a locker room and there was this rah-rah speech. And, and I just remember looking and going, I'm 28 years old. What? This isn't motivating. This is, I needed a change of scenery. Like yeah. leaving Kansas City was devastating to me, but I needed a change of scenery to be, mm to reinvigorate sort of my passion for the game. Mm. And I was like, I need, you need, sometimes you need that change. You need that, that uneasiness to keep you on your toes. Cause when you get comfortable, things get stale really quickly. And so good. Um, we, we have chewed up a lot of your time, man. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for it, but tell us quickly, what's today look like for Andy Studebaker in, in from a vocation perspective, but also, and maybe more importantly from a family and, and, uh, and a, work-life balance perspective. Yeah, so post-football, I went and coached for a year and and then um, came back to Kansas City. I work for the NFL Players Union now, so I have six teams. I, cool. I handle the players' issues. I you know, kind of the conduit between the league and the, um, and the NFLPA, the union. So the players kind of rely on me to inform them, to educate them on, on the business side of football. So I get to mm. kind of draw off of my experience and, and help younger guys and older guys kind of thrive and fuel up the rocket. I mean, that's kind of what I say. I, f- I, put, I help guys put, put gas in the rocket because when they launch, it's, it's going to go somewhere. Um, Family-wise, I mean, life is way different than when I was playing, right? We have four kids now. We had our twin boys, um, number three and four, one week after my last NFL game. Wow. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> football was over, and it was like, Life became more intense than football ever was. We have four kids under four. Um, we were we were we were in a in a, a good year and a half of just grinding. I mean, it was tough. A lot of sleep, and you guys, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it was a grind. A couple years right after football, and in a lot of ways, maybe it was good. It kept my kept us busy. It kept my mm. mind off of it. Yeah. It was a hard time. Of course. Um, now my kids are seven, five. Almost the boys are almost four. Everyone's kind of starting school. We're in this weird phase where, you know, Mondays, you and, Mondays and Wednesdays, my wife and I are like, if I'm not traveling for work or if I don't have anything going on, we just kind of, what do you want to do today? Go grab some lunch. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. We haven't gone out for like a breakfast. We, we haven't gone out for coffee or for a lunch in the middle of the day without planning for it for seven years. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's pretty amazing actually. And we're entering this really fun phase where our kids have, unique personalities you see yourself in them you know yeah. you're looking back at old pictures and you're going man I, I could have I, I regret the way we did that you see your babies when they're babies and you go they were so little yeah. and now they're so big and it's it's escaping us quickly and so like that's our challenge right now is how to sure. 
how do you push your kids um, and, and love them well mm. to, de- to, make, to develop them into the adults you want them to become, but at the same time you want to like embrace them. You, know, you want them out of the house because you're, they drive you nuts every now and then, but then you're like, no, don't go, don't go. Yeah. So we're in that limbo of like, what is what does what normal look like? like? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And changes every day. We have a kind of teach and encourage <coughs> section of the podcast where we ask some questions. But hearing from you throughout this entire thing, you seem like a teacher and an encourager. That's just part of your personality, it seems. So this question may come easy to you, but if you were writing a letter to 18-year-old Andy, what would you tell him? <laughs> I would probably say, don't leave, don't, uh, you know, dear Andy, don't ignore this letter. Because at 18, I probably would have been like, screw it, letters are stupid. <laughs> letters? <laughs> have the humility to actually read the rest of this letter. That's awesome. <laughs> it's probably the central message. Um, you know, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that a lot. You know, I think where I've struggled a lot over the last decade is, you know, I, I think in some ways in, on these podcasts, I, I sound polished and, and I sound more mature than I am, but you know, the real Andy is t- was terrified during the NFL. Mm. I was terrified to take chances. I was terrified to let people down. I was terrified to, to be myself. Yeah. So if I could write a letter back to that guy, I would say, have the humility to be teachable because I wasn't. I thought I knew everything. Mm-hmm. When you're young and you're successful in the world and you're making good money, you start to think like, I'm the man. You start to think you are really smart. In reality, mm-hmm. your dad is 6'8 and you're 6'4 and you won the genetic lottery and have some humility. Be teachable. So, you know, 18-year-old Andy, be teachable, but also don't be afraid to, don't feel like you're, you know, your presence is a burden on people. Um, I'm a strong personality. I've always felt I'm opinionated. I'm argumentative. <laughs> I've always felt like I'm a burden on people. And over the last couple of years, I don't know if you study the Enneagram, but I'm an oh, Enneagram yeah. eight. Oh, I was going to guess if you're an and eight, bro. Yeah, I am. And it's like, I, I was, people always joke about that. And I was like, I'm tired of being a joke. I'm not a joke. Dear Andy, don't, don't feel like you're a joke. Be yourself. Own it. Use that strength to empower people. Be careful because that strength can like really damage people. Wow. Um, for, for I don't me. know that Andy at 18 would have made it through that letter, but yeah, like, nah, that's I, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's bullshit. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I could say that word because you said it on national TV. Yeah. So, um, so Enneagram eights, man. Like I think the the uh, I'm a seven, Brooks a one, and we've loved that. Yep. Um, and that, that discovery of ourselves in essence, like to recover who we really were at yep. the beginning. Right. Yep. Um, Eights are strong um, leaders, bold, courageous, but it comes at this cost of like a risk of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. How's that journey been for you? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until a failure in, in career transition. It wasn't until then that we dug into this Enneagram thing, right? Yeah, um, same. And it was really helpful because I that was one of my issues is I was putting up a front because I thought I was still in NFL mode. I thought I had to present and be something for people because everybody wanted me to be this version of me. And I never felt comfortable with being it. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I probably wouldn't have said this six months and a year ago, you know, I wouldn't have said these things a year ago and I'm here, I am speaking them into a microphone. So it's been a process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, it's been good for me to realize that, Hey, number one, Eights aren't meant to be fixed. You're not supposed to be fixed. You're supposed to be empowered and use your gifting and skills to help others around you. And that's that's kind of helped mm. me be vulnerable and say, hey, man, I'm actually kind of a 
kind of a jerk when I'm at, when I'm off, mm. like I'm kind of a jerk. And when I see those things happening, I have the, I don't know, vulnerability to say, here's how I feel. And once you start doing that, you can actually, you can actually start to break yeah. through and be like, Hey, man, I'm not, I'm not like somebody to be fixed more than I am. Like, Hey, I just need some, I just needed the opportunity to say, Hey, I'm, to I'm not me. perfect. Yeah. I'm not perfect. Yeah. And you know, I need to be able to tell you how I feel without feeling like I'm, I'm not, I was not supposed to say that because it shatters your view of who I'm supposed to be. Dude. That's been really good for me. Mind blowing, bro. Okay. We got to wrap up. Brooks, Brooks giving me the like producer, like we're at the mark, man, let's go. Um, so we end every show with the five same questions. We call it speed story. Okay. So, um, <laughs> just first thing that comes to your mind, no right or wrong answers. What is the last book you read or listened to? Uh, three Kings. It's the tale of three Kings, something like that. It's, um, it's the story of David and Goliath or D David's story essentially being told from people who are watching a play in David's life, like saying, this is how, what does it look like to be a king? Huh. What do kings look like? How do kings interact? You know, Saul was a certain type of king. David was a certain type of king. David's sons were certain types. of king. So you're like seeing this play play out and the, the narrator of the story is like whispering to you. You got to see, you see how he's acting as a king. And so it's a really cool. unique perspective, but a really impactful book for me. And um, a good, a good realization that sometimes I act like Saul and I throw spears because I think I should be able to, cause I'm the king. And sometimes I act like a compassionate, you know, empowering king. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, very, very, yeah. it's a really good book. Yeah. All right. Question two, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? I wasn't afraid. I even, I think I knew you guys were going to ask this question and I don't have an answer for it. What would I do? Is that like vocationally or like? It can be anything. We've had two people say jump out of an airport. I was just going to say jump out of an airport. <laughs> so I want, and I'm not even afraid to. I'm afraid of what my wife would do if she saw a picture of me jumping out of an airplane. Let me go with that one because love it, it seems adventurous, right? I love it. What is, what is Mallory, by the way, on the Enneagram? She's a one. She's a one. Okay, yeah. nice. Yes. So you and I can relate. And now, I, ones. you know, the other thing is like, now you can actually process, you can actually handle, I can, I, okay. You understand what's going on. I can, let me try to see this through your eyes. Dude. You know how insane. helpful that is? Oh. To be like, I cannot live in that world. Like it is beyond me. How it's hard, bro. Someone thinks like way, but <laughs> it's not wrong. It's just, I can't think that way. And so it wasn't until I had the humility to say that, like, maybe I'm actually wrong. Let me try to see it through her From lens. From her perspective. Yeah. We Dude, we got to have a whole show on this topic with yeah. Andy. You'll come back and do yeah. this. Cause this is, we may continue in disagreement, but at least I tried. <laughs> yeah. Bring her on. <laughs> That's right. All right. Um, what is one thing if people knew that you did or have done that they would think you're weird or crazy? Hmm. <clears throat> Is there some weird habit or some like thing, <laughs> some thing you did every football game to gear up? Like, is there something? Uh, yeah. Goofy? So, and yeah, I mean, I got made fun of a lot because I would make these like ammonia bombs, like you know those little ammonia things that you <laughs> sniff and you like if you wait. pass out. Yeah, yeah. If you pass out. But yeah. a lot of guys do it just to kind of give them a quick jolt. I used to look. I used to put <laughs> like twenty of them <laughs> into an empty water bottle, and then close the lid and just kind of shake it up and just let it sit there and simmer. And then, like, right before the game, I just open it up, and and it is enough to, oh my like, gosh. you know, wake up an elephant. I mean, it's like, <laughs> my guys on my team used to always make fun of me. And I, it's funny, because I didn't need to do that. I used to make myself throw up, because that's, like, it made me feel like I was ready. <laughs> so I created this thing where I, I threw up before a game, and I played really well, so then I believed that I had to always do it. 
So then I would continue to do it, even if I didn't have to. And then I realized, this is dumb. Why am I doing so this? So I used to get made fun of all the time for that. Um, so I also so get made good. fun of this way, socially. So my wife and I have this, like, it's like our date night. Okay? So I'm letting you guys in and the You're being vulnerable, in. man. Yeah. Good for you. So we, we go out to eat, and then we, a lot of times, we go to these, like, reflexology places where they, like, rub your feet for 15 I bucks. I knew this about you guys. See? I knew this. Don't tell. I mean, Mallory, no, Mallory told me. She okay, really it's like our the thing. world knows now, bro. It's, so our, like, it's, it's like our thing, and our neighbors look at us like that is so creepy and weird <laughs> that you do that regularly. And I'm like, oh no, no, I actually have a place in LA that I go when I visit the Chargers. It's like my spot. I love going. There. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the small, you know. It's like it's a little, little luxury of life, man. That's great. Grab a That's quick nap. Fun. So good. Got 30 right. minutes before a flight. Next question: <laughs> What is your favorite place on Earth? Hmm. Besides Congerville. Yeah, besides Congerville. Um, it's interesting. So we're, we're actually, I, we've always been, I, the water really speaks to me. Um, I, I, we like, we love going to the beach. It's, it's like sort of this like, I don't know if it's the noise or the atmosphere. Or we love going somewhere near water. It could be a lake, could be beach. Most, most recently we've done a beach. I, I would love to get back to you in December because my wife and I are going on our 10-year anniversary trip and we're going skiing. Something okay. I was never allowed to do when I was playing. So we've never gone skiing. So I'm kind of hoping that like, and maybe I'll come back and be like, that's my thing. Yeah. The that's mountains, fun. the snow. I've never done it. I love so. it. I love it. All right, man. Last one. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah. So um, I think there's like, there's a lot of ways I would like to answer that. But if there was like a phrase that I try to try to live by, even when I'm doing simple things like working out or whatever, to, to fill my time. My, my old football coach used to say, it's better to burn out than fade away. You know, so you picture this candle. It's better to burn it all the way to the ground and just exhaust itself in the mission versus just, like, drift off Halfway and just, just kind of just, like, fade into eh. the dark. Yeah, just kind of go out. And so my, my the mentality that I try to bring to things is let's burn this thing out, you know, is squatting a lot of weight really good for me? No, but it's better to burn out than fade away. <laughs> better to burn out than fade away. And I think that translates into something and hoping, hoping that teaches my kids something. And I hope people look back, whether I died on the way home from here or in 50 years, I hope people mm. look back at me and in my body and go, that dude burned out. He's awesome. burned out. And he didn't fade away. And that, that goes into generosity. That goes into the way you treat people. That's the way you pursued business and treated your employees. And you just... Burned, you exhausted yourself in the mission, and you burned out, and you just didn't fade away. Dude, so that's, that's what I want people to say. Preach, bro. I love it. Man, we're super grateful for your time, dude. We're, yeah. we're, we, I, we could sit here all day and have this conversation, but we can't. Um, <laughs> so thanks. The last closing statement, where can people find you? Where can they find what you're up to? Do you want them to find what you're up to? <laughs> um, how can people follow yeah, it's along? Yeah, funny. Uh, you, you said the blue checkmark thing on Twitter. I'm actually becoming increasingly irrelevant because every time I tweet, I realize I lose followers. <laughs> <laughs> Which okay. must mean I'm not that interesting, but um, I, at Twitter on Twitter I'm at Studi32 S T U D I E three two. Don't know why I'm three two, but that's what I chose. Instagram is Andy I don't do a ton of it. I do most of my reading on those websites. Not not I'm not on Instagram that much, but I do a lot of my reading via Twitter. I don't tweet a lot. Probably because I want to hang on to my followers. <laughs> yeah, let's keep that follower count. I got to keep that blue check mark, bro. Yeah, that's right. So good to talk to you, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, bro.